I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres such as slashers, vampires, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. All right, guys, and we're back for the second part of the Scream franchise. I really hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode. Like I said last week, I had to cut it in half because I thought it was running a little long. Enjoy our discussions on Screams Part 3 and 4. But for Scream 3, they decided to wait three years instead of not the next year. No. And come out in 2000. Some people say that, uh, you know, they shouldn't have waited three years. That was part of the problem. But really, they shouldn't have made the movie when they made it anyways, because there were so many problems Yep, with this fucking movie. It was in trouble from the very start. Um, you had that long gap. You had Kevin Williamson was super in demand. He was working on two movies in Dawson's Creek yep. when they decided to make this movie. And he wrote a draft. He didn't even write a fucking script. And Nev Campbell was doing Party of Five and a movie. It was like a comedy or something with Danny DeVito. I can't remember the name. And she was busy. So she could only film for a few weeks. Yeah, they only got her for three weeks. So they had to make uh, basically Dewey and Gail the stars and carry the first half of the movie to have her pop in later. Yep. And then Columbine happened. Yep. And the entire movie idea had to get changed because it was going to be kids getting killed in a high school. And they just couldn't do it. I'm actually surprised the movie didn't end up being PG-13 from that. With what was going around with other movies at the time, I'm shocked that that wasn't somebody's great idea and they just run with that. I mean, really, they should have sat on it for like a year or two. But what they had to do, since they didn't have a full script, they needed somebody to work off the draft. And I don't know, Wes Craven found a guy whose last name's Kruger, but he got Aaron Kruger to come in. He's written some shit since then. I don't think he was necessarily famous yet or had done much. Yeah, he hadn't done much and he certainly had not done horror. And he ended up just completely fucking disregarding Kevin Williamson's draft and writing his own shit. Basically. However, every interview and documentary I've seen, everybody said it was a fucking nightmare because one, he was writing it as they went. Yep. So like you didn't really get to rehearse. Nobody knew what was going on. It wasn't cohesive. And two, he didn't know the characters and he was writing them so poorly. Wes Craven would have to go back in behind him and fix it. Cause like, that's not what Gail does. That's yep. not what Dewey does. And I got really angry. I wish I'd wrote her name down. But when I was watching Still Screaming, they showed a woman that was like a co-screenplay writer. Yep. I was just trying to remember her name myself. She's not on IMDb or fucking Wikipedia or anything when I looked. It just says Aaron Kruger and characters by Kevin Williamson. I don't fucking know why. I'm sure she's in the movie credits if I went back and looked. Yeah, maybe. But I didn't write it down when I was watching the documentary last night because I was like, oh, I'll just look her name up on IMDb. (laughs) But no, so I think she did a lot of the character fixing too is what I gathered from Still Screaming. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a clusterfuck with constant rewrites, everybody writing, nobody knowing what was going on. Like you said, they should have just sat on the damn project till they could have the right team together at the right time. Right. And in the movie, Jenny McCarthy's in it. She goes on a rant and it's not about, you know, vaccinations this time. <laughs> and and she says something about like being pissed about the amount of fucking rewrites and blah, blah, blah. And that was true. Yep. Like they put that in there on purpose. There's a lot of uh, art imitating life yep. that comes through in this movie for better and, and very much worse at sometimes they had multiple killers planned all over the place. Like this person could be the killer. This person could be the killer. They just didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And like, they even scrapped the original opening of the movie. Did you ever hear about the first opening? Uh-uh. Sid and a friend at a house. This was the opening scene and they're hanging out and they're going to watch a movie and they get a call from Ghostface, and he busted out of the closet and Neff Campbell just pulls out a gun and fucking shoots and kills him. Takes the mask off. It was a fan. Oh, the pranked okay, her. okay. And that's why she goes into seclusion. 
because she just murdered a fan and stuff like that. So like they, they like they had these dark pieces and then just didn't keep them. Okay. Couldn't figure out who the fuck they wanted the killer to be. And they actually filmed the movie with different people set up as the killer. And I don't mean like it's a red herring and they film it with them as a red herring. They actually filmed the scenes because that was the killer at the end of the movie. Oh. And then they just weren't. <laughs> um, you had Patrick Dempsey in as Detective Kincaid, right? Yeah. He was fucking fantastic. I couldn't picture anybody else doing the role. It was actually supposed to be David Boreans at first, Angel. Yep. And apparently he got hired like three days before filming started shooting. Yeah, they didn't get the script to him until the night before, and he had to do his three heaviest dialogue scenes day one with one night of rehearsal. Fucking nailed it, apparently. Yep. Big Dreamy's on to something. <laughs> yeah, professional. But uh, this one doesn't have as much as a backstory. We'll kind of just go through the movie on it. Cotton Weary, it opens up with him. He's the host of like a Jerry Springer show called 100% Cotton. The name's fucking hilarious. It's apparently a joke. When they were filming Scream 2, they were making jokes on set about like, if Cotton ever got a talk show, it would be 100% Cotton. They end up getting to use it in the movie. Yep. And he's on a phone call. I don't remember if it's his agent or what. It's not really relevant. But he gets a call from Ghostface. Well, he gets a call from a woman. Yeah. Right, the beep's in. And she's talking. It's like, oh, I got the wrong number. She's like, oh, I recognize your voice, you know. And uh, he clicks back over to whoever he's on the phone with. He's like, I got to go. This is an important call. Starts hitting on the lady. And the voice turns into uh, Ghostface. Yeah. And Ghostface is wanting to know where Sid's at. She's isolated, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And either, I don't remember if he doesn't know or he just refuses to tell. But Ghostface is in his house or apartment stalking his girlfriend, Christine, as yeah. she's getting in the shower. So he's flipping the fuck out and he's trying to call 911 and he's getting like a busy signal. He's like, fuck you. And he's just racing home, right? Well, well there's the ghost face line. He's like, I'm looking at your girl in the shower. She's got a pretty little voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah <just laughs> singing. And uh, they cast her last minute too, because they did, they were all over the place with that opening scene. Yeah. Like the stunt double, not stunt double, but the, the stunt actor that played Ghostface said he killed Lee Schreiber so many fucking ways in that room. And they just kept redoing <laughs> it over and over. She gets out of the shower and she can tell a door's open, right? That she knew was closed. Yeah. And you see her leaving wet footprints over the place and she gets her robe and she hears cotton and then Ghostface comes around the corner. And then he's acting like it's a prank or like a kinky game. And then he comes at her again, you know, with the Ghostface voice. And what you figure out at this point, you know, it's not cotton because it's cutting him racing. Yeah. Trying to get home to save his girl who he was about to cheat on with the, uh, the person that called if you think yeah. about it. Cotton being cotton, right? Um, <laughs> he wants his 15 minutes. It's kind of left in the open if she's dead or alive by yeah. the time Cotton gets home. But what we do realize is the killer's voice modulator is amped up in this one. They can imitate voices. Exactly. And he gets home and he can't find anybody. And he sees stab holes in the door from where Christine was hiding. Yeah. And he goes and opens the door talking. And she comes at him swinging a fucking golf club. She thinks it's the killer. And then the killer comes up behind him. There's a bit of a scuffle and they both get killed. Yeah. I mean, like that's your opening scene. Cotton Weary and Christine's girlfriend are fucking dead. Uh, we cut to detective Kincaid and he's contacting Gail, right? Because I mean, she's helped solve two of these fucking crimes. Yeah. She's literally written the book on the fucking subject and uh, they kind of have her in as an advisor to help on the case. Yeah. And she comes to Hollywood because that's where this whole thing's going down. Uh, we find out that stab three is being made. Yep. And Cotton was talking about that. That's why I think it was his agent. When he's on the phone, he's like, I'm a fucking famous talk show host. I don't want to go be in a goddamn slasher movie. Okay. Like that's what he's saying in the car when, when the girl called. But I'm just going to kind of briefly go through these character introductions because there's so many fucking people in this movie because you have like the surviving cast from the screen movies and then you have actors playing them. 
because stab three is being made. Yep. And when Gail gets there, she sees that, because I guess they're not talking. Dewey is like the advisor. Yeah. Technical advisor. And he's following uh, Jennifer, who plays Gail. And it's fucking Parker Posey. And this was so perfectly cast. Yeah. Like she does everything fucking perfect in the scene. Uh, this and uh, one of the Blade movies where she's the. Yeah. Gets referred to as the cock juggling thundercut. I <laughs> yeah. love her in that role in this. She's, she's always funny. She did so many indie movies like the party girl movies and stuff. Oh yeah. Younger. Yeah. That's where Holy she got famous. shit. I haven't watched that shit since. Oh damn. She's the bad guy judging the pussycats too. I've still yeah. never seen that. Oh that's, that's actually a funny movie man. It was a good good little throwback there. You know, so we see where, where Gail and Dewey's been at during this time. And at some point we cut to Jenny McCarthy, right? Which is Sarah. Yeah. We see her like in the office for stab three. Like, I don't know if it's like a trailer or building it. Cause they're on the back a lot. Right. Yeah. And she's startled by Tyson coming around the corner and he's our token black guy. And I only say that because he's in not another teen movie as the token black as guy, the token black guy. Right? Yep. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. I want to see which one came first. I'm pretty sure this did. I always friggin' forget that he's in there. Yeah, he's, he's in some other shit. The guy's fucking hilarious, but he's got like a knife going through his head and they're doing a prop test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's like, I'm looking for Roman, which is, we find out later, is the director. And um, she goes into his office, picks up a statue and it's like an MTV award. Yeah. And drops it and breaks the head or whatever. And, and he calls and it's Scott Foley's voice and you can hear him talking. And uh, he wants to run lines with her and, and, She's doing it, and she's like, I'm, "I'm, I fucking die second this movie, anyways. This is dumb." And then, why am I naked? Yeah, why am I naked? And he starts changing like what's happening to her, and she's like, "Is there another fucking rewrite?" And uh, it cuts to Ghostface voice, right? Yep. Like, and she goes in a panic and takes off running, and she ends up in the prop room, which is bad because for some reason there's like a hundred fucking Ghostface costumes. Yeah, I, I know you need extra costumes because they get blood and shit on them, but there was an absurd amount of costumes in the scene. This is true. And she tries to hide in the uh, in the rack, and this part. Kind of gets me because don't want to go ahead and spoil the ending. I mean, I'm hoping everybody's seen it. Yeah. Yeah. There's only one killer in this movie sure. and that was the surprise. Yeah. Right. Cause you're trying to figure out who both of them are and they really fucking disorient you. And I'll get into that when we get to the scenes and thinking there's more than one killer, but she goes to leave and she sees a, a silhouette at the door and that's what makes her run to the prop room. And it was the security guard locking up. Yep. How the fuck did the one killer know to hide in the prop room? It was just kind of cheesy and I have to suspend belief too much for that. Normally it works in a screen movie because there's two of them and you're like, well, you have one cover the front, one cover the back. Yeah. Every time I can answer it that way. I answered it that way when I saw this one the first time, but it's just not true. Yeah. But it's really cool that he's in the room, hiding in the rack, slides the knife out. She gets it. She's killed. You know, of course, Detective Kincaid is back on site with Detective Wallace. And uh, the thing that we find out here, because I don't know if they mentioned it on the first kill with Cotton and Christine, is there are pictures being left behind. Yep. And they are Maureen Prescott, but she's younger. They're like uh, promo pics for yep. modeling and acting. So that's like the clue that's being left behind. And they want to talk to Sydney, and Dewey says he doesn't know where she's at. Yeah. Which is not true. And and I don't know if they've showed Sydney at this point, but she basically lives in the middle of nowhere with her dog and runs like a crisis hotline for women. Yeah. Right. Where she just sits there, uses a fake name and this, this, and that. Still talks to her dad because he's worried about her. Yep. And, uh, you know, but that happens somewhere in there. And Roman gets called in for questioning. I remember that. Yeah. Right? Like, very reminiscent of Billy getting called in at the very beginning. Um, he's bitching about how his award, the head was broke off of it. He's like, think somebody's trying to send me a message. Yeah, clearly I'm the next victim. Did you see this? Do you think this wasn't a message? <laughs> Which is fucking one of the funniest lines <laughs> in the movie. 
especially this, your second, you know, viewing of the film. Yeah. I love the first scream in my memory before going back. Cause I only watched the first one regularly. Yeah. I was like, the second one's okay. I don't like the third one, but then when I went back and watched it, I didn't like the second one that much. And I appreciated this one more. I think it's just the ending made me hate three. Yeah. For the, the most part, the ending makes me hate, but three. like the, the pacing's good and, and the comedy's good. I'm trying to keep the cadence in case the thought comes in. But this is one thing I really do like. Like, I thought they were making a different change. When you see Sid in her house, she is fucking, she has PTSD. She's got the shakes and stuff. It's actually done pretty well. She's hallucinating so fucking much. You don't know what's really happening to her and what's not. Yeah. When you see her dead mother walking, you're like, either they've gone supernatural (laughs) or she's gone crazy. (laughs) Right. And it was a really nice touch, I felt like. And she gets phone calls later in the movie from Ghostface. And even then, you don't know if that fucking happened. Yeah, we've got some of it, her just being totally wigged out, some of it nightmares, all kinds of shit. I don't remember if this is Gail again or if this is a detective Kincaid, but somebody figures out that they're killing the actors off in the order that their characters die in the movie. Yeah. The problem is there's three versions of the script because the last one leaked on the internet, right? And uh, the they don't know which version of the script the killer has to know who they're going to kill. So for some reason, they decide, you know, let's all hang out at Jennifer's house and have a party and be in the same room. This is a Pretty good idea, much. right? And that's when we see uh, Dewey's actor, Tom, you know, smoking a cigarette and tearing the pages out, like making fun of the scenes. Yeah. You know, because he dies in one version. I, I think they all die in one version, right? But yeah, so the whole Stab 3 cast is here. They're drinking, smoking. They're angry. Their movie's not getting finished. They might get murdered. They seem to not really be... Uh, that concerned about it. Yeah. They're more mad about the movie, not getting to, to get finished. Right. And, and we saw him earlier, but the tick, you know, Patrick, I think it's like Ward Burton or something. I love that. Yeah. Guy. He's fucking hilarious. The deep voice. Yes. He he's so great. perfect as the tick, but he calls Dewey do drop. And, and we found out earlier that Dewey's uh, trailer is on Jennifer's property. Yeah. And he's, he's walking, you know, the perimeter. It was going to be stone cold, Steve Austin originally. Oh, which, really? Which is funny. Cause I think his name's like Steven stone. Or okay. something, right? Because right? like, he's bodyguard to the stars. That might have been funny, but it, it needed to be him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that didn't happen. But he has a pretty good fight with Ghostface in Dewey's trailer and gets the shit stabbed out of him. Yeah. And I don't remember why they know something's going on, but they look, maybe the front door's just open, but they look out and you see him walk up, like just beat the fucking back, bleeding, falls over with the knife. They're all freaking out. The power gets cut yep. to the house. Luckily, she has a UPS for a fax machine. <laughs> and uh, they're getting like script scenes. Like they're getting the dailies facts to them. Yeah. You know, it says something about something happening to him in the house. I'm like, oh, we need to go outside because he's going to kill us in the house. But what if it's a trick and we're going to go out? Really, the dailies coming in should have really been a giveaway. And I didn't think about that till last night, even though it's like, yeah. you know, I've seen the movie several times at that point. Yeah. But basically, they're running in and out of the house and they decide that outside is better. And then Tom says, fuck it. I want to know what the next fact says. And he runs in. And it's too dark and he can't see all of a sudden. They could see before. Yeah. So he goes in the kitchen to use a lighter. Yep. And does the lighter and it's like, do you smell the gas? And the fucking house explodes. Yes, the uh, the killer will grant mercy to whichever one. And he lights the lighter and goes, smells the gas first. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Angeline gets blown down the hill. Dewey and Gail. Tyson might not have been there because I don't remember him here in the hill scene. But they go flipping this down. This is true. Dewey's a little beat up and he stands up and he can hear Jennifer yelling for help. And he can hear Gail yelling for help. Yeah. And he's looking back and forth like, which one do I go? He chooses Gail. And he runs down the hill. 
And this part, I'm going to bring this up in four. He's a pretty far distance away from Gale, and the and Ghostface comes running up behind her, and he fucking just quick draws that revolver and puts six rounds straight in the fucking killer's chest from quite a, a distance. To yeah. me, like for quick draw and a revolver and doing it, fucking barn scene in four kills me. But um, <laughs> drops the killer. Now. The killer falls down to the police car at the bottom of the police car, and Gale's alive, and she's like, "Oh, you came for me." Of course, Ghostface is instantly gone. Yeah. Okay, which you know that starts getting common in in uh, slasher franchises when they can't die. And for some reason, you don't see it then, but they find another picture of Maureen. Yeah. And is that the one with the note on the back? I think so. And it just has like a little clue or something on it. And, but the killer's gone. And then Angelina comes walking down the hill, like staggering. And, you know, it's a little suspicious. Yeah. Why are you coming from over there? And it's a little suspicious because she was actually supposed to be one of the two killers. Yeah. Um, not though. She wasn't. They paint her heart as a red herring and they paint Detective Kincaid. Yep. And Detective Wallace. Yep. All three of them were killers at one point in time when they were actually shooting the movies. They weren't red herrings. They were filming the scenes to point out that they were the killer. <laughs> like I said, this movie was fucking all over the place. Sid ends up getting the call, though. The killer's founder. Maybe. I still don't know if he actually called her. <laughs> like, it's the PTSD. She sees so much fucked up shit in that house. Yeah. She decides there's no point in hiding. She's going to go to Hollywood and help with the case, right? Uh, Detective Kincaid's, like, basically demanding that Dewey get Sid and he goes out to call her and she just kind of walks in. Right. Yeah, it's a big dramatic entry. And she's looking for detective Kincaid. Cause I guess it's on the news or some shit, or maybe she just knew he was looking for her. And you kind of get, it, it seems like he has a crush on her. Yeah. Like it was like a love interest thing or is the killer. Like they, they kind of went both routes yep. on them. I don't remember where she pops out, but fucking Martha shows up, which is Randy's sister. It, and it's, and you're right. She just pops up. She's just in a trailer on the back lot for no apparent reason. She has like a, a video from Randy, her brother, that he filmed in his dorm room in two before because he, he was like, in case I die, give this. So it's like a posthumous, uh, you don't know the rules, right? Yeah. And I fucking love the rules for this one. So it's the rules for a horror trilogy. And he's like, because if we're here, this is a trilogy that the killer's going to be superhuman, stabbing them won't work, shooting them won't work. Um, basically, in the third one, you got to cryogenically freeze his head, decapitate him, and blow him up, right? <laughs> So we already already witnessed that yeah. when Dewey popped six rounds in his fucking chest and, and didn't kill him yeah. or her. Number two, anyone, including the main character, can die. Sorry, that means you, Sid. Like, I love that part. <laughs> and number three, the past will come back to bite you in the ass. Whatever you think you knew about the past, forget it. The past is not at rest. Any sins that were committed in the past are about to break out and destroy you. Yep. Which that one comes back like a motherfucker. And this one, Martha just kind of pieces out. She's like there and gone. <laughs> yeah, she just existed for that. And there's a funny thing when he's going through the whole thing on the tape, somebody's beating on the door and he's like, go away. I'm leaving my legacy. <laughs> yeah, it's his roommate. He's like, it's my fucking room too. And somewhere in here, Gail decides to go play detective, right? Because the cops aren't really working with her. And then fake Gail decides to follow her and, and she can't get into this this uh, record room because they figure yeah. out that the photos are set photos. Like they're promo pics on this set. Yeah, it was from that back lot from X amount of time ago. And um, it's basically like Roger Corman movies. This yeah. is what they make it sound like. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that, which is really <laughs> funny because you meet the producer and the studio executive earlier in the movie. And yeah. the producer is Lance Hendrickson, which, you know, aliens and all sorts of fucking horror movies. And then Roger Corman is playing the uh like studio owner yeah and it's really funny because he's like i don't want these kind of violent movies out of my studio and yeah. this is fucking roger corman <laughs> who invented the genre but she wants in the records room to to look at something about these photos and 
she can't get in. And, and then some Parker Posey walks up. She's like, Gail Weathers would find a way. Yeah. And she's got the ID badge and gets her in. And they go down and there's fucking God bless her. Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher sitting there smoking a cigarette. And uh, they start talking to her and they're like, holy shit, are you? And she's like, no, you know, <laughs> I tried out for the role of Princess Leia, but Carrie Fisher, you know, fucked the director and got it or something. Yeah. She points at a, like a headshot of herself and she's got a different stage name. Yeah. And uh, they're trying to get information out of her. Do you know who this is? And she's like, I work for the studio, not the police. And then Gail tries to give her a 50. And then she's like, who are you <laughs> fucking Woodsboro High newspaper? And she pulls off like a $2,000 ring and bribes her. Yeah. And then she takes her to the filing section. Carrie Fisher takes them both. And she's like, look, I don't know Maureen Prescott, but I do know. And I should have wrote down her fucking name, but she had a stage name. Oh, fuck. She did some bit parts in some horror movies. And then she starts telling these stories that sound oddly like uh, Harvey Weinstein's life. Yeah. Right. About how um, Milton, which is Lance Henriksen's character would throw these big parties with these young actresses and, and kind of throw them to the men and let them have their way with them and get them rolled. So this is really art imitating life. Yeah. I wonder how much Wes Craven knew and was just trying to fucking throw out there. I don't know if, if you dig down the conspiracy rabbit hole, there's all kinds of stuff in different directions. You know, but I mean, it was fucking Weinstein's did this movie. So, you know, this it was, is true. It was very in your face on that one without, I mean, this is 2018 years before that shit happened no. or came out. Anyways. Came out. Yeah. So then they, they kind of figure out right at that point that her tie in with everything and why they're leaving. The, well, they don't know why the pictures are being left. They basically go and address this to Milton directly, right? I think so. And he acts like he doesn't know her name. And then he That's acts like, right. he's like, well, I figured it out when we were making stab one and I didn't want the publicity and this, this and that. But Roman's in there bitching about how he has to make a fucking horror movie so he can make his romance movie. Yeah. Which Wes Craven wanted to put this romantic movie out and they told him he had to do Scream 3 and they wouldn't let him do it. Yep. So he threw that in as a joke about his fucking real life there. And he says something stupid, Roman. It's like, go to the party and have a cupcake or something. Yeah. And like, oh, that's right. It's your birthday. So Roman leaves. That's right. And we find out that there is a party being held at the producer's house. And uh, the stab cast, what's left of them is there. Yeah. Really funny note. That is the school from Halloween H2O repurposed to be Milton's house. Oh, okay. So I thought that was kind of neat. All right. Um, so, so we cut there and Roman's drunk and he's hanging out with everybody and he talks about the screening room and he wants to see it. Yeah. He's trying to get everybody split up. Um, at this point, I'm trying to remember how Dewey and Gail end up there. They might just, they find I, out about it. I think it. they just find out about the party and no, go Sid there. calls. That's right. It's not really Sid though. But, and they don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, okay. And then they go, I'm going to blitz through this. Jennifer finds Roman dead in the uh in a coffin right yeah well jennifer goes down there after roman i think gail comes in finds roman dead and then jennifer scares her tyson gets into a fight with the killer trying to save angelina who says that she only got the role because she fucked milton right exactly she gets it pretty quick i'm trying to remember how she died yeah that whole part is always fuzzy to me because at that point i know i'm getting close to the part where i'm going to get mad at the movie and i don't pay good attention tyson tries to fight Ghostface and then ends up making it outside and getting killed yeah angelina dies somehow and then jennifer ends up hidden behind like false glass that you apparently can't hear through with uh like some harry potter magic or some shit <laughs> and dewey notices the glass shaking and he's with gail and he shoots out the windows one at a time instead of just shooting the one that's shaking i know right just shoot i mean i guess he didn't want to accidentally Shoot Man. Jennifer or whatever was happening. Yeah. Shoot the one beside it. Don't, I mean, you got six panes of glass and she's at pane six. Yeah. Don't start at one. Don't waste time and ammo. Uh, and then, so Jennifer's dead. Gail and Dewey get overpowered 
and knocked out. Um, we get the idea that Kincaid might be on the way, right? Yeah. And uh, that might be the scene where he tries to fight Ghostface and gets knocked out. No, 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 Sid's not there too yet. But Sid's waiting in his office, and she gets the call from the killer. And the killer's like, gives proof of life that he's got Gale yep. and, and Dewey. Because he's got to come. Yeah, they're tied up at that point. So she goes into Detective Wallace's office, steals his car keys and a pistol, drives there. And uh, when she gets up front, she sees Tyson's dead body and a metal detector, which I thought that was really clever. Yeah. And the killer calls her and he makes her swipe the metal detector and she skips the leg and he makes her go back to the leg and she pulls the pistol and just throw it in the pool. Yep. She throws it in the pool and he's like, come in. She's like, fuck you. And he's like, if you look right in the entrance, you can see that Gail and Dewey's alive. She comes in, and then that's when Kincaid comes in behind her, and you're like, eh, he's a fucking killer. Yep. Right? It's what you think the first time you're seeing it. And then Ghostface pops out, and he tries to fight the killer, gets his ass whooped. Yep. And it just it very quickly goes from here. This is, I, I really, I skipped the scene because it wasn't important, but I guess in hindsight it slightly is. She showed up at the movie set earlier in the movie, and she is in the bathroom, and Angelina comes in as a creepy scene with a mask, and you yeah. think she might be the killer. Yeah. And she ends up trying to take the uh, brush to her. She's running through the movie set and they have like her house built with her mom's crime scene where the killer fucks with her acting like the mom getting up or she hallucinated. You don't know. Yeah. They have Stu's house from the party scene and, and, and she's running around, but the killer tries to kill Sid during this part of the movie. Yeah. And everywhere she goes, the killer's popping out a different way. And it's cause you got the false doors, right? Yeah. Cause it's all set pieces, but it makes you think it's two killers cause they're popping up all over the place. And it then, does. you know what I mean? So part of it, you got her possible hallucinations. And then you got the killer knows the set acting like two people that pops up in Milton's house again because the killer keeps popping up and it disorients you. Like it was, it was confusing me watching yeah. the movie, knowing the ending because the killer seems to know the house too well. And you find out that there's secret passages all over the house. Like they brought that up when they were looking for the room. Yep. That kind of tricks you there. But, uh, you know, Gail and Dewey get set free. Sid ends up in like the basement and it's the hidden it's not the basement basement, but she ends up in the hidden theater. Yeah. And she hears her mom's voice playing and there's like a death shroud of her mom walking and it comes down and it's ghost face fucking pulls off the mask and it's Roman. Yep. And you're like, oh, this doesn't really make any sense. And then you find out that, uh, Roman was Maureen's baby from one of them sex parties. Yep. And she gave him up for adoption. Bastard son of a handful of maniacs. Right. right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> She uh, started a new life, and right before the first film, he went to her wanting to meet his mom and found out he had a half-sister, and she's like, fuck you, I got a new family, you can leave. And uh, you find out that he followed her, filmed her having all these different affairs, yep. Cotton and Billy's dad and stuff like that, got the, the footage to Billy, and then got Billy and Stu to go kill Mark. Yep. And he's like, I'm a director, Sid, you know, and he orchestrated the whole thing, and he's the mastermind, and it's kind of fucking lame. And uh, hey, but we know it's a trilogy now. Yeah, we know it's a trilogy now, allegedly. And uh, I mean, just long story short, they they talk shit. Dewey and Gail are trying to get in there with them. The the lights get thrown out. He gets shot a bunch, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and he can get back up. And Sid's hiding behind a bar, and she takes an ice pick. This part's kind of funny. She stabs him in the back, and he fucking just blood curdling screams. She missed the uh, the pad, pad and yeah. stabbed him. I mean, it was a retractable blade, but it was still, it hurts if you stab something hard enough. So it's a real scream. They kept that take. And, uh, I mean, he comes off pretty much superhuman getting back up again and fucking Dewey's just yeah. unloading into his chest. And she's like, shoot him in the head, Dewey, shoot him in the head. And bam, gets him. 
And uh, so your survivors are Sid, Dewey, Kale, and Kincaid. Yeah. So you got three of the original. Well, right? and, and during the fight, you do get the whole thing where you find out she's wearing a, a, a bulletproof vest too. And she's yeah. like, I guess we think alike. Like yeah. they do a little bit. Oh, they really are brother and sister. This isn't made up bullshit. Yeah. You know, yeah. To try to sell it. Yeah. She did. I forgot about that. He shoots her thing and he got her with the Derringer that Kincaid had yep. or whatever that little gun was. And, yep. uh, and she had a vest on and got away. That's how she ended up behind the bar. And, um, when he's on the ground, you know, dying, this is, I, I guess the shoot him in the head hadn't happened yet. He's bleeding out on the ground. She holds his hand. Remember? Yeah. Like, like so that her brother doesn't have to die alone. But he gets back up. They always do a scream. I mean, that, that's when she's like, shoot him in the head, shoot him in the head. I don't know. I enjoyed it more this time than I had in the past. Um, it was interesting seeing it after all the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out. Yeah. Because that didn't click to me. Yeah. Because um, I hadn't seen this one in a while. Robert Rodriguez directed all the stab movie clips in this one and the next one, right? Yeah. He, he directed all of them in all the movies. Which is, he was up to direct Scream at some point, right? Before yeah. That's, was that's, that's something we should have mentioned earlier that. To take it a step back, back to Scream 1, after Wes Craven passed, Rodriguez passed, Sam Raimi passed, George Romero passed before it ended up making it back to Wes Craven. Sorry. You just reminded me of that. No, no, that's fine. But like, I mean, it was really interesting to see like Roger Corman thrown in the movie. Yeah. Apparently Matthew Lillard was supposed to be the killer originally, and he was like running it from prison and had these kids murdering the other kids in the high school and Columbine's what threw that out. Oh. I don't know how that would have turned out. I would have liked that better. Maybe. He said he got paid for it, but he's not in the movie. That's yeah, that's right. Angelina was originally supposed to be Roman's girlfriend. Cause she says she knew Sid from high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the movie, she said that. So it was originally, she was going to be Roman's girlfriend and hated Sid and they were the killer together. At some point, detective Wallace was the killer. That's why they had that scene where he's walking odd, looking at Dewey it was to set him up to be the killer. And he wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it was, it was fucking all over the place and you could, you could feel it. I don't know if it would have been better if Kevin was able to do the movie. I don't know. You mentioned him walking around on the on the, the back lot. There's a, a double whammy cameo okay. um, during the uh, back lot. You get uh, Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah. Because uh, Jay makes the joke. He's like, yo, there's that news bitch, Connie fucking Chung. Yo, Connie, <laughs> how's Maury? But he's talking about Gail. But in the tour group, there's uh, Wes Craven. Right, right. Um, sorry. He walks by and the, uh, I think the director of photography is yep. with them too. So they just kind of stuck by. And he like looks at the camera and it's like so in a place just to make sure I'm here, motherfucker. And uh, that was the trilogy. It was always written as a trilogy is what I heard. Yep. They never did anything with it again, you know, and then 11 years go by and Scream 4 came out, which I heard was supposed to be like a spinoff movie originally. And then, I mean, it's probably the Weinsteins or something wanted it to be four. It just kind of angers me that they did that and fucked up the whole trilogy aspect of it. They did. And uh, of course, 2011 Scream 4. And from my understanding was the whole thing was nobody wanted to do it. And then it turned into, well, if you can get Williamson and Craven together, I'll do it. And then this person decided they'd come back. This person decided they'd come back. And uh, Nev Campbell was like the last holdout to actually get back to be in the fourth one. Um, Because in this one, we still have Sydney, Dewey, Gail. But we also have Kirby, Olivia, Judy, Trevor, Robbie, and Charlie. And I'm leaving out names. These yeah. are the key ones in the movie. They might have been easier to bring up as it went. I do want to say. Oh, uh, I will again. <laughs> it's really funny. When Josh and I decided to do Scream 4, I was talking about who the killer was and this, this, and that. Because I'd only seen it once and I didn't remember it real well. Went back and watched The Son of a Bitch for the podcast. Apparently, I never actually saw Scream 4. I hadn't missed it in theaters. <laughs> rented it on Redbox. Started the beginning with my wife. Because I knew the beginning enough. Like the the false beginnings. 
And then I, I remembered a quick scene at the end, but I'm assuming like I probably fucking played wow or something back then. And I ended up doing something <laughs> else. My wife watched the movie and I meant to go back and watch it and just never did. So I just got to see this one fresh pretty much. That was pretty fucking awesome. So we end up with an opening with two girls that get the call. I'm going to kind of rush through some of this because this is interesting. And uh, one's at the front door with it open. The other one gets knifed in the entryway. Then another killer knifes the one that's in the doorway. Stab six. (laughs) Okay, so that wasn't the opening of the movie. So then we've got, and I don't know who the two girls are, those two actors. I'm sorry if they were prominent to kids. I don't know. There's a, we start to have a generation gap, at least for me as a viewer, by the time we get to this movie on some of this shit. I mean, I recognize a lot of the actresses, but I'm trying to figure out which one came first. Was that Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell? Or no, was that the no, other? No. Oh. This is the next okay, set okay. is Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell watching. They're the ones watching stab six. And, uh, Anna Paquin's character is like, Oh, this shit's all the same. Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. You can always see what's coming. And then Kristen Bell stabs her in the stomach. And she's like, did you see that coming? It was very reminiscent of the scary movie version of uh, Scream 2's opening. Like, yes. shut up, I'm watching the fucking movie, you know? And that's the thing. And that's what she says to her. She's like, this is for always talking. Like, that's the shit they need to put in theaters instead of telling you to turn your cell phone off. Show somebody getting stabbed in the stomach. Tell them to shut the fuck up. But anyways, so that was Scream, or sorry, that was Stab 7. Yeah. And now we cut to uh, Marnie and Jenny. Must be the real opening now because I right. remember names. And... uh they get the phone call and uh, Marnie is, they get separated real fast and uh, Jenny's still on the phone and Ghostface tells her that she's the dumb blonde with the big tits. Right. And uh, she's like, I've got a 4.0, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. <laughs> she runs up the stairs anyways. And uh, she ends up making it into the attic and she gets stabbed up there, comes back down out of the attic into the garage. And so we've got her crawling towards the garage door and he opens the garage door. We're getting throwback real fast. Right, right. And, uh, I do want to point out, like, it, they did a good job of modernizing Scream while keeping those original elements. Just the way they're, like, making fun of the movies. Like, they did meta in a new yeah. way. And they, they kept the rule of instead of, like, referencing the year and the decade they're in, they just referenced the other stab in Scream movies, right? They do. So they kind of, they kept their stick while still doing it, I guess, in a pure way. I do think it's funny, like, once you know, well, I only thought there was one killer. And the one I thought it was, because I apparently never seen the movie. It makes sense when you hear the way Ghostface talks, you can tell it's like a teenager. Yeah. Like, which I guess it was a teenager in, in the first one also, but we had like 30 girls playing teenagers and it feels like a teenager. I will give you that. It does feel closer in the fourth one than it, as, as far as that goes. Like even the big tits blonde comment, you know, and stuff yeah. like that, it like really jumps out at you. You know what? And that's something I was going to say is like, you know, the dialogue, now that I think about it even more, like that's part of what really pisses me off in the movies. Like, that's not how Ghostface talks. Like, I know yeah, that's the right. That's not how Ghostface. I dogs. know that's part. Like, so <laughs> no shit, basically man. I thought I hated this movie until I watched it. And this is actually ended up being my favorite sequel out of them, which I was, I didn't even want to do it. I said, you Josh, just, we just got to do the trilogy, but it was stuff like that <laughs> is what made me appreciate it. I'm like, they really have it acting like a fucking kid doing it. Yeah. Like it was you just made me hate the movie a lot less. I mean, it's Roger <laughs> Jackson's voice, but it's so out of place the way he's talking. Yep. But he's talking like a high school kid in 2010 would talk. Yep. That's getting excited and out of control. and. Yep. No shit. It's actually creative, right? When you think about it. you know. Anyways. (laughs) I just fucking derailed this into the ground, but let's recover from this train wreck. So Sid's back in town for a book signing, uh, Out of the Darkness or something like that is her book. It's like some sort of self-help book, which feels kind of out of character. Yeah. Now, supposedly there's a deleted scene where they talk about her dad dying and her getting even more depressed and writing this book is what pulled her out of it. That's why he's MIA in, in the movie. I don't. 
Like I said, I don't know if that's right. At this all. one has a lot less like backstory than the other ones, and was just a movie. Yeah, that came out. We've got uh, Dewey and Gale are still together, but of course, in real life, by this point, they're actually going through a divorce. During, yeah, they were going through a divorce in real life during the making of this movie. We get introduced to Kirby, Jill, and Olivia. And I think uh, it's Kirby is picking up Jill and Olivia because Jill and Olivia live next door to each other. Right. And these are our three main girls that we're going to be seeing through the movie. They talk about getting the ghost face calls. They talk about, I guess, the, the mad fat hoon slayer, Trevor, who seems to be <laughs> calling all the girls. They don't call him that. But anyways. Yeah, because uh, the girls in the real opening of the movie think it's Trevor. Well, one of them's talking yeah. about a Facebook stalker, which that was... I mean, that was kind of meta. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're talking about the Facebook stalker and the other one's talking about Trevor being a creep and still calling her. And then when they get the ghost face call, you know, they're making jokes, but it's either Trevor or the stalker here. It's Channing Tatum. Yeah. You know, because that was exactly. the stalker pick. But I think the girls actually got a call. I know there's a lot of people that are screen fans and didn't see this one, though. So just to paint a picture, Kirby is Hayden Penetair. Yeah. Right? Of like hero's fame. I guess Nashville to some people. Um, Jill, Jill is, is Emma, Roberts, Emma Roberts, yeah. Which I mean, nowadays, I mean, it's Julia Roberts' niece, it's Eric Roberts' daughter. But you got American Horror Story, you got Scream Queens. Like she's in so much fucking shit now. Yeah. And uh, I don't, the other girl was it anybody famous? If it could completely be, I don't know. Like I said, there's some generation gap here. Going to start having some yeah, of this yeah. shit. But uh, we're introduced to them. There's also talk of the app. So there's an app on your phone to make you sound like Ghostface now too. Yeah. So anyone can do it now. <laughs> um. Which is kind of a downgrade from three because you could do anybody's voice on the change in three. Yeah. But we end up getting introduced to Officer Judy, who's all about Dewey. Like, here's mm-hmm. my lemon squares I made you and shit like that. We've got Robbie, who's wearing the headgear yeah, yeah. with the live stream camera. We get introduced to him and his sidekick, Charlie. We later find out that... uh they don't call it the AV club. What the fuck do they call it? I mean, it's just like a modern take on the, the cinema club or yeah, something. Cinema club. And they talk about movies, but the first guy you're talking about, like he's got the headset because he live streams everything. He's like, this is the future. Exactly. And uh, Charlie is Rory Culkin, right? It's Macaulay Culkin's one of yeah. his little brothers. Yep. So we've got Sid at the bookstore doing the signing of the book, but then the cops show up and by cops, I mean, Dewey and Judy. <laughs> and uh, it's like, there's been a killing. There's been a phone involved that was traced back to here. Oh, at the book signing? Yeah. Did you say that Dewey's sheriff now of Woodsboro? Yes, he is okay. sheriff now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I said it, but he is. And so the phone is in Sydney's rental car, mm-hmm. along with a knife and a mask and some blood. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so things are quickly all fucked up. All the reporters are there. We get like this flashback thing. It's like, here we are in Woodsboro again. You know, it's the same shit, different day. And um, I want to say it's like near the anniversary. I think so. The massacre, right? But uh, we get two cops that are supposed to be parked out in front of Jill's house because it's Sydney's cousin. I guess that's kind of important yeah. in this movie. So that's where Sid's staying because now that all this shit's going, she can't just vamp out. She's got to stay and help or stay and be bait. I don't know, but she stays. It's right. Problems and, I have with this movie. And this is Marine's sister, not Neil's. Correct. Yeah. And uh, we get the the bedroom scene with Trevor and jill that's just like the first movie and all that stuff only it's him leaving he talks about he came in through the window i don't think they show it because sid comes in and she's like what's he doing here and it's like oh he was just leaving and then sid walks out of the room and we get this really weird exchange between her and judy with judy like stepping out of the shadows and shit and talking it's like you don't remember going to school with me like (laughs) some weird shit like that and they're doing the whole thing that we've gotten used to in these movies now. Every person they introduce, if there's an angle to try to do the red herring thing, that's what they're doing. Right. So you're not looking in any one direction. So Jill and Kirby get 
the call because Kirby's over there hanging yeah. out. And uh, I like this scene. <laughs> so Ghostface says he's in the closet. Right. And uh, he's telling Kirby, you know, and she's like, what? And she opens the closet and he's not there. And she's like, I got you. You because they think it's Trevor, whatever. Yeah. And they're like, I got you. You're not even in the closet, blah, blah, blah. I never said I was in your closet. And yes. then through the window, he comes out of Olivia's closet across the street, slices and dices her ass. And it's um, very, very brutal compared to the stab scenes in the screen movies. Yes. Just to show that decade of what you could get away with. Exactly. Because, I mean, there's a little bit of blood in the false openings, but like this thing, I mean, there's fucking intestines on the goddamn bed. <laughs> yeah. Know, and stuff. This is totally gruesome. And, uh, Sydney ends up running over there, as does Jill, and they end up fighting Ghostface. Jill ends up getting cut on her arm. Ghostface gets away. Why is it always norm cut? I know, it's right? suspicious. So Gail ends up meeting with Robbie and Charlie and sets up this deal like, hey, we should work together because she's no longer Gail Weathers' reporter. She's now quit. She's not doing anything. She's well, trying to write another book. Well, she's trying to write a fiction novel. That's she right. She doesn't do that anymore, but she's got writer's block. Exactly. Now it's just going to be, it turns into kind of a setup for kills to just yeah. get us along. <laughs> Sid's got this PR bitch that's really a straight up bitch. Alison Brie, right? And uh, is that her name? Yeah. She's like I from don't... Community or something. Yeah, I mean, uh, She's actually famous. Oh, okay. That's new. <laughs> I don't know the chick. That's y'all can. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's talking to Sid in the hospital and she's like, this is going to be so great. I've got you interviews set up here, 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 here. We're going to do this. You're going to make so much money off of these kids getting killed. <laughs> and Sydney's like, you're fired. <laughs> and uh, so we follow her pouting away out into the parking garage. She gets in her car, tries to crank it. It won't crank. Ghostface pops up on the hood of the car holding some wires like yeah. this is why your car won't crank. But she ends up setting off the alarm on the car a couple of times in this parking garage at night. She ends up getting out of the car and running away. And Ghostface ends up stabbing the shit out of her right by a stairwell. Meanwhile, there's a press conference down below where everyone's deaf. Because uh, they never hear this car <laughs> alarm go off and they never hear this woman scream. That's my smart ass remark. But the press conference is going on down below and they're talking about, we don't know what it is. Everybody's safe. We're doing our best to, you know, this is Dewey talking, you know, we're going to keep this town safe. And her fucking body falls on the <laughs> news van right there. And everybody's like, the fuck we are and fucking scatters like roaches and shit. We cut back to the cinema club and they're there and they're talking about the obvious next evolutionary step in the stab movies is to film everything. Right. That that's the way things are these days, that that's what's going to set them apart. And he turns on his little head cam as he's explaining it. And Kirby's showing Sid about like, look, we can watch this live on our cell phones. Yeah. Like, hey, you old people, this is how technology works. This is where we get our new, uh, <laughs> our new rules, right? But they're not from Randy. So it's not the same. Oh, yeah, that is right. So he goes through. Who is it that's going through him? Is it's it Charlie? It's Charlie. I think they bounce off each other, but yeah. Charlie's leading it. Because Robbie, and just to point this out, Robbie is the one that's always streaming, but Charlie is the president of the cinema club. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So they go through, and one, the death scenes have to be way more extreme. Check. Two, unexpected is the new cliche. Three, virgins can die now. <laughs> Four, new versions are always 2.0. So the latest technology is always involved and integral to the plot. This means the killer may start filming the murders. Five, you have to have an opening sequence because they beat that into the ground already. Um, number six, don't fuck with the original. Number seven, if you want to survive a modern day movie, you pretty much have to be gay. <laughs> the ones that have already been visited, we've visited. There are some we haven't visited, but give us time. <laughs> they all make it up there. <laughs> So they end up talking about the Stabathon. 
Yeah. And that every year they throw a party and watch all the stab movies and Gail and Sid are like, well, where is it? And it's like, sorry, honey, invite only or some shit like that. But they end up finding out or Gail ends up. Yeah, finding Gail out. does. Because it's basically it's like a barn. Yeah. And there's people in costumes, of course. That makes it a little confusing. Yeah. So Gail makes her way there. Um, We find out that Kirby's there and that Trevor's there. Of course, Charlie and Robbie are up on stage introducing the first film. And Gail puts on a ghost face mask and she's running around hiding wireless cameras. She gets them all set up. She goes out to her car and she ends up on the phone with Dewey while she's looking at the, the feeds. And she's telling him what she's doing as far as uh, here's the party, here's the kids, yada, yada, yada. But somebody's walking up to her cameras and like turning them over or pointing them at shit to where they can't see anything. She's, I thought that part was really nice. Yeah, that was cool. So she's like, the fuck, I got to go fix my shit. So Dewey's en route. She goes back inside and while she's fixing her cameras, she sees another camera that's not hers. That is much nicer. It's a PTZ. It's got IR and everything. And uh, so obviously somebody's watching. She gets attacked and gets stabbed in the shoulder as Dewey comes in, who used to be a good shot. This and, made me so fucking mad because he's like 10 or 15 feet away. He's so close. And he empties the gun and they just fucking spray it all over the barn. However, in the last movie at 300 yards away, quick drew and fucking blasted the guy with a six shooter in the chest. I mean, at least give me some fucking consistency between the characters. Yeah. And they were both at night. So you can't say that he couldn't see well in one or the other. He might be extra gimpy though. He's been stabbed a lot at this point. This is true. Actually, you notice he doesn't have the gimp lamp or anything. Like he's just completely normal. I don't remember. You'd think the injuries would be worse after 10 years, but I, I know, right? I'm not a doctor. I know his voice changes for some odd reason, but <laughs> Cocaine. Whatever. It's always cocaine oh, with him. okay, yeah. But anyways, back at Jill's house, the uh, the two cops get dispatched. I forget their names, but like one of them is like Anthony Perkins, if you take his actor's name and his character's it's name. Hoss and something. Like yes. the names are- Yeah, Hoss and, and, and Perkins. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Hoss, uh, I can't think the actor's name, like something Brody- and, yeah, uh, he was he, in Grind. He was in the OC. Um, I always know him from. Uh, he's the lead singer of the band from Jennifer's Body. That like fucking sacrifices her to the demons. So they can get signed. I need to see this movie. You've never seen Jennifer's Body? I've never seen Jennifer. I well, cannot wait. I've seen a Jennifer's Body, but I don't know if it's the one you're talking about. I cannot wait until we cover this fucking movie. I've been trying to figure out where I want to shoehorn it in. It is a. It's Megan Fox's best movie, but it's a demon oh, fucking possession movie. I haven't seen it. It's a demon possession slash slasher movie. Okay. It is fucking awesome. I can't wait till we cover it. But uh, And there goes my derail again. <laughs> so they, they both get killed by Ghostface. One of them's doing a perimeter check and can't get the other one on the radio, walks back to the car. They both get stabbed. There's a joke in there about Bruce Willis, I think. Um, well, they're saying that the cops waiting outside always die in movies unless it's Bruce Willis. Okay. Fuck Bruce Willis. So we end up, I'm going to go through, I'm going to spare some details. So it would be Aunt whatever. Yeah. What's her fucking name? Uh, Maureen's sister. <laughs> yeah. She gets, she ends up getting stabbed through the mail slot. Yeah. In the back, which was actually really, really neat. Um, so there's another attack on the house. Cops have been dispatched. Sid sees on Jill's laptop that she had been texting with Kirby. So she must, was she, yeah, yeah, after party, after party from Stabathon. And so she gets in the car and she's. Going well, over to the party. The deputy, the important part here is the deputy shows up and she's like, Oh, Judy. And it kind of looks suspicious yep. that it might be Sid. And when she goes to check on something, Sid flees the scene. So yep. she has to radio in a Dewey that Sid just fleed the scene. That's right. So it, it's kind of like, we know it's not Sid, but they're, uh, it, it's sort of the police could think it is. So we end up over at Kirby's house. 
She's a big movie buff. We find out they kind of hinted at that earlier because Charlie's always flirting with her and she's yeah. always like fucking with them, but not, not necessarily flirting. And he's never had the balls to just go for it. Yeah. yeah. And and you kind of got hints that she was a movie buff before, but she's also like the tough, cool kid. So you don't know if she's just fucking with them or not until this point. Yeah. And they're, they're ooing and eyeing over her film collection. Yeah. Which is not very big, nah, but whatever. Like a shelf. She <laughs> shows some knowledge here shortly. So Trevor comes in uninvited and is like, what are you talking about? You called me or Jill texted me or whatever. And Jill's like, no, it wasn't me. I don't even know where my phone is. Let me go find my phone. Right. And then Trevor walks off somewhere too. And we've got uh Robbie getting shit faced. Oh, he yeah. wanders out onto the bow or deck or whatever. So it's time uh, or no Kirby tells uh, Charlie now'd be a good time to make the first move. And he's like, well, I thought you would make the first move. She's like, I just did <laughs> yeah. or some shit like that. And he goes to kiss her and then Trevor comes back in. Right. So then Charlie's all pissed off and storms off and Trevor sits down next to her. He's like, what were y'all? Did I just interrupt some? Really? Yeah. So like, he starts making fun of her. Yeah. Cause she's like highfalutin within the social circles and he's the AV geek. You know, yeah. why would you do this? Meanwhile, Robbie runs into a planner face yeah. first out there. And when he puts his shit back on his cameras facing backwards. Yeah. Robbie ends up at the front door and this is when the upside down camera thing happens. He's talking about what we're fixing to see for the first time ever on his live stream. Robbie gets laid or whatever. Charlie gets laid or whatever. And uh, he's looking at it on his phone. He's like, what? What is that? And the camera's pointing behind him. But there's also Ghostface. Right. Ghostface fucking attacks. (laughs) Stabs the shit out of him. He's like, but you can't kill me. I'm gay. (laughs) Ghostface still sad. (laughs) And uh, he Ghostface attacked him like an adolescent that's angry and butthurt about something. Yes. So. And uh, his body is right by the steps. So when S- Sid walks up, she's blind. Um, <laughs> just saying. Uh, he could have dragged the body off. But we end up, Sid makes it there. And uh, Sid, Jill, and Kirby are the only ones left. And Jill ends up hiding under a bed. Sid um, tells her to. Yeah. yeah. And then Sid goes out on the roof and ends up coming back down and back into the house. For what, what doesn't matter. It was to save her knee or save her cousin. She runs out on the roof and she, and she acts like she's like, yeah. go down and get away this way. And she calls Dewey on the phone while trying to make That's loops right. around the house. So it was a pretty good idea to save her, her cousin and, and get the Calvary on the way. If we call Doofy the Calvary now. Yeah. So her and Kirby end up back together and she's like, let's go down into the basement. And I'm yelling at the TV, you know, like, yeah, friggin' no, you don't go to the basement. Look There's nowhere to run. run. Yeah. And we get throwback scene. Yeah. We're looking out these glass doors and there's Charlie tied to a fucking chair and she gets the call and I just say the call. Yeah. And, uh, so Ghostface wants to play a game and, uh, what's the, oh fuck. What is the first thing that he asks? Yeah. Yeah. The remake is the follow up question. So, uh, there's like a warm up question or some mm-hmm. shit and it's like, what was the first slasher movie? And she's like, psycho. It was like wrong. <laughs> it was peeping Tom. I fucking love that because like, I apparently had not seen this movie and I was glad that we did that on the slasher movie and they did it in this one. Yeah. The slasher episode, and they did it on this one. Exactly. So she gets a follow-up question. Ghostface starts off with like, what remake featured? And then he doesn't get to say anything else. And she just rattles off like 15 horror movies that have been remade. Right. It was fucking fantastic. And uh, she's like, it was one of those, right? And there's nobody on the phone. Right. There's nothing outside. Cool. So she goes outside, takes the tape off or rope or whatever it is on Charlie. And uh, I forget what he says, but he stands up and stabs her in the fucking stomach. So he goes inside and grabs Sid. Ghostface comes in and we get the reveal. It's fucking Jill. 
This was funny to me because I always think of Emma Roberts as that like badass kind of like snobby, you know, spoiled brat that's just fucking mean from like Scream Queens and American Horror Story. And I'm yeah. like, huh, this was before that. She's not doing that in this movie. And then this scene happens. <laughs> and it's just like, that's where the typecasting came from. Yeah. But we quickly get throwback scene 2.0 or two really where the whole plan is that it was, well, Jill couldn't handle living in Sid's shadow. Right. Me, me, me. Yeah. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah. And they've got Trevor tied up because Trevor's dad, quote unquote, you know, he's going to take the fall. And uh, <laughs> Jill, because I think, I don't think she's gone on the rant about Sid yet. She's yelling at Trevor laying in the floor bound. <laughs> And is like, I'm the girl you don't cheat on and shoots him in the dick. Yeah, yeah. You don't fuck me and then cheat on me and leave me and shoot some dick. I was like, oh my God, that hurt watching it. Yeah. And then she shoots him in the head. They go through the whole explanation about how they're going to be famous because they filmed it all. Right. Um, and that they were the they were the two survivors. And she kisses Charlie and she's like, Are you ready? And, yeah. and he's like, Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Shoulder me. <laughs> she fucking stabs him right in the heart. <laughs> He's like, that was my fucking heart. <laughs> and, uh, and she's, she smarts off something like these days, everyone loves a soul survivor. Yeah. There can't be two of us. And then she turns around, she stabs Sid and Sid collapses. She gets her twice. I think. <laughs> and then Jill, Jill goes full on fucking, uh, Oh, what is it? Liar, liar. I'm, I'm kicking, kicking my, my own, own ass, ass here. <laughs> yes. So, she, what all does she do? She puts the knife in her shoulder and runs into the wall. Yeah. She throws herself through a glass table. She threw her face into a picture. Yeah. She There's grabs, more. she grabs Trevor and uses his hand to, to rip part of her face off and some of her hair out. Yeah. It's actually pretty clever, but it's just ridiculous to watch it just keep going. Yeah. And she's setting up the scene. And like I said, somewhere in there, she, she wanted to, it's not about you, Sid. It's about becoming you. Right. And she wants all the glory. And she even crawls over in the floor right next to Sydney's body and gets in the same pose. Yeah. As she hears the uh, sirens coming in. Yep. So, uh, as she awakens in the hospital, Dewey's there and, uh, they're talking and she finds out, or she doesn't know yet. They're talking and she's like, you know, one day I hope I can write a book with Gail you know, since we got the same scar and everything yeah, and, and touches her shoulder where she stabbed herself. And, uh, she's like, it's too bad about Sid or something like that. And he's like, I got to tell you it's, it's touch and go right now, but we think she might make it. She's in she's ICU. Like, They're trying everything. Yeah, and they think it's got a strong chance. She's like, Oh really? But I saw Trevor kill her. And, uh, it's like, yeah, we think she can, she thinks she might pull through or something and Dewey leaves. And she's like, fuck. And she's ripping all the wires off of her and shit. And she goes and finds her room. I don't know what her plan would have been at this point to get away with it. I yeah. guess there is. No, I, mean, I guess a crazy person doesn't have yep. to have a same she plan, right? Full blown psychotic at this point. So while she's looking for Sid's room, Dewey goes back into Gail's room and uh, she's like, oh, it's, it's so neat. She said something about, you know, y'all could write a book together since y'all both have the same scar. She's like, how would she know I got stabbed in the shoulder? Right. And Dewey, I called him fucking Dewey. <laughs> I'm Dewey, glad I made it contagious. <laughs> Dewey's like, oh shit. So now he's running to Sid's room. Jill makes it into Sid's room and a, a fight ensues. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because she, I mean, Sid's smart and attacks her, but she just starts fucking punching her in the stitches over and over again. Yeah, because then she even up. says, she's like, how are those new stitches or some shit? Dewey comes running in and she bashes in his fucking head with a metal bedpan. She grabs his gun. Judy and Gail come running in. Judy's got her gun drawn and uh, Jill tells her to drop it and shoots Gail in the stomach. Like, gives yeah. her no time to respond. So she throws the gun over and then she shoots. 
Judy. So they're both collapsed. Um, no, they're not. Gail's still up. <laughs> because while this is going on, she says some shit and puts the gun to Gail's head. And she's like, have you got any last words? And behind her, what's been going on is Sid is charging up the defibrillator. <laughs> yes. It's like, so if you got any last words and it's clear, 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 because it's all three yeah. of them end up saying it. And she fucking zaps her in the head, which should have killed Gail because muscles contract. She would have pulled the trigger. Just saying. Fuck that. It should have killed Jill. Well, we can get to her too. Yes. It should have killed her. She should <laughs> she at least been a vegetable. In the brain, man. <laughs> but at any rate, so they're all sitting in the floor with Dewey. Dewey's okay. Judy's okay. Cause she was wearing a vest <laughs> and Dewey's like, she was right behind me. And Sid's like, they always are. And like looks over her shoulder and shoots her. And uh, I really fucked something up here. It's during. No, it's right then. So you forgot the first rule of remakes. You don't fuck with the original. Right. I'd really like to think that this, I don't know where it came from, that it's a nod to the Nightmare on Elm Street remake that had come out the year before. You don't fuck with the original. Maybe. I didn't even think about that. Um, I don't don't know who wrote the line. This is totally coming out of my own head. So at any rate, they're the survivors again. We cut to the reporters outside that are all telling this wonderful story of the brave young girl, Jill, who's now going to be immortalized, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I fucking love that part. As we see her fucking dying. A couple little notes on it. This was another one that, you know, the whole thing got brought back together because Craven and Williamson were going to be working together again. But in the middle of production, they actually brought fucking Aaron Kruger back in to do rewrites. Yeah, I don't know why that happened. It was a Weinstein decision. Oh, okay. There's uh Wes Craven does have a cameo in this movie, but it was cut. So yeah. if you've got the DVD, Blu-ray, whatever, go to the deleted scenes and look for the one named Crime Scene, and he's the coroner. Yeah. Overall, I, I honestly, I think it was a good movie. I, I feel like as we talked it through, you might have liked it a little bit better than you started. A little bit better. Um, I, I think what was worse for me is how many years it was in between three and four and understanding that three really did put a bow on it as a trilogy. It did. With the rules. And now we realize we're in a trilogy. It should have just ended there. I agree that it should have stayed a trilogy, but with them remaking one, I'm glad they waited, you know, 10, 11 years to do it. I felt like the modernizing of the film was done rather well. I do feel like it kept the core and true to heart, but it could have easily just been a spinoff. Yeah, and I guess I should have made this clear. The whole point of Jill's plan was to recreate the exact Woodsboro murders in order and her to become Sid. So it would have been like a remake. Um, Yeah, when you look at it that way. It is strange to think of it like, what if two and three could have not existed and you still could have gone from one to four? And four just been like the second one that was 15 years later, whatever it ended up being. Like, if you think about it, they really could have cleanly done that. And and I think that realization is kind of what made me part of what made me like it better. And it was it was a fun movie. Yeah. It's funny. I was like, I didn't even want to cover it. And apparently I hadn't fucking seen the whole thing. <laughs> and I had fun. So like that was a nice little surprise there. And uh, you know, is that the end? It it appears to be the end of that scream story. Yeah. We did get the Scream television show. Have you seen it? Yes. Season one was so fucking awesome. I loved all of it. It was when you find out the killer was at the end, that part was a little cheesy. Yeah. Well, one of the killers. The ride, though, was really fun to get there. The second season, I marathoned in one sitting. It was okay to watch. I'll never watch it again. The first season, I will. Season three is basically stuck in production now. It's finished. A completely different cast with a different story. And um, all filmed in Atlanta and everything. And the Weinstein stuff came out. And Uh, where it lays, we don't know. Yeah, that one, I was really 
I was not excited for it. Like, oh yeah, MTV is going to ruin Scream. And uh, it was all right for what it was. I was actually um, pleasantly surprised that MTV did it that well. And it, the gore was just right. Like, it surprised me what they get away with on yeah. on TV. And I mean, MTV was big in the 90s when the first one came out. It was really a big part of making that movie famous. Remember it like yeah. won the MTV, MTV Awards? Video Music or and, Movie Awards, sorry. And all that stuff, you know. So yeah. I mean, like it was... It was almost a natural fit, you know, cause yeah. of the, for the time of the original ones. It was kind of neat to see that. I haven't fucking watched MTV and I couldn't tell you how long. <laughs> and then I watched that scream show on there. So that was really cool. They're that channel that used to play music videos, right? Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Jason Blum said he wanted to reboot scream and I know what you did last summer. Really? And, uh, I know with Williamson. You, no. Cause it would, wouldn't really be a reboot then. Mike Flanagan. Oh, no. Well, you see, you call Williamson, you hire him on, and then someone else gets told to come rewrite it. <laughs> well, right now there's no director attached, but okay. Mike Flanagan wrote the remake. Oh, really? Which is interesting. I trust him as a writer. I'd have to see what he what he does with it. But the fact there's no director makes me think they're trying to get him to direct it as well. Mm, maybe. I mean, I'm just theorizing on that because there's not listed there. There's nothing on the um, Scream remake. I don't know how I feel about a Scream remake. But if anybody was going to do it, Blumhouse with Jason Blum behind it, I would give them a chance. That was, that's the exact same phrase I was going to say. Normally, under any circumstance, I would just say, don't fucking touch Scream. It doesn't need to be remade. Yeah. They reboot everything nowadays. If somebody's going to do it, I'd rather be them than some like spinoff Miramax dimension knockoff thing. You know what I mean? So we just have to see what it goes. I mean... Blumhouse movies are generally pretty fucking good. Yeah. And I know I'm an asshole when I talk about remakes. And I think I've brought this up on the show before. You know, we understand that some of the things we cherish from the 80s were remakes of things from the 50s and 60s. And it's just not that prominent because that's where it was in your in your generation. And it may we're just old enough now that it's okay to see this stuff happen and need to take a step back and realize there's a whole nother generation coming up that this is going to be the first thing they see. I'm sure there's kids right now that saw the new Nightmare on Elm Street before they saw the original. Right. And and it taints not that's a bad choice of words, but it it paints the picture of what what the characters are and what everything is in their mind and then when they see the other one they're like, "Oh no, no, I was exposed to this first. This is the legit." Right. So I try not to be such an asshole about that. So it could be a good thing and if it does come to light, I'll try to watch it with that in mind. Right. It's just I don't know, like a a new scream movie that had nothing to do with the other ones and you just call it Scream. That would be cool. Shit. But, you know. Speaking of new Scream movie and why we won't have Wes Craven. Because, of course, Wes Craven ended up passing away 2015, I believe it was. Brain cancer. Yeah. Scream 4 was the last film he directed. Yeah. Which to me is kind of sucks. Like, it would have been nice to have gotten one more nightmare out of him. Yeah. Uh, or even just involvement in another nightmare. But at least it was a scream movie though. I mean, that is what I'll give you that saved his career. Yeah. Like it, in the end, it brought it, it that was his comeback. Yeah. It yeah. could have been because his, his career is definitely up, down, up, down. It could have been, been a terrible movie. So. He, I mean, he is definitely a master of horror and he has so many movies that are so high. Yeah. On, on, you know, on the peaks, but then the valleys can get so low sometimes. Well, you not were, always his fault though. You're recently telling me about, uh, another director that you just kind of talked about that seems to just be putting out nothing but peaks. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's why next week we're going to be talking about Mike Flanagan. Hello again. You must be hungry. Because he's put out what? Like six movies in seven years. Something like that. A successful TV show. And. I don't know. I fucking really like his work. They're either a Netflix movie or a Blumhouse. I think even the Netflix ones 
or Blumhouse. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, like, so he's just, he's worked very closely with Jason Blum. He's made horror movies of different subgenres all over the place. And like I said, he's got like one a year yeah. coming out. I think it's going to be a really fun story to tell next week for you guys. All right. But until then, keep plugging the podcast. Keep sending comments to sbspodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe at sbspodcast on Twitter and Instagram. We keep trying to put some stuff up there, you know, if it's relevant. And as we get people on there, we'll be more active on that. Have a good time and uh, see you next week. Thanks for listening. What's your favorite scary movie?